0: much the same business model of the entertainment industry and managing talent, and we started the first talent agency for very high-level freelance technology professionals, and that is that is really where this sort of all, all goes back to and began.
1: Awesome. So, um, welcome, uh, Michael Solomon, for the, on the podcast. Uh, to our listeners and viewers, uh, very few times we have guests who have a good grasp on the talent landscape. And understanding whether, and I think um, the, what's what's special about having Michael on on our show is obviously it's, they have managed on the creative side; they have helped uh, create a creative side and manage talent there, and they are helping on the tal on the technology side. So they understand the whole spectrum of what it what it takes. So welcome, welcome to the show, Michael.
0: It's my pleasure to be here. And what I didn't fully mention in my in my brief introduction is. Not only did we go from managing musical talent to tech talent, but along the way, we started working with directors. Um, we've never worked with athletes, but we also work with music producers and music writers. And then we came over and started working with technologists and entrepreneurs and advising entrepreneurs in, the startup, in a startup capacity as well. So by the time we were done, I, I don't know that I can make this statement really officially and I say it with a grain of salt, but I believe... We probably, as 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 individuals, manage the largest breadth of of kinds of talent that maybe anybody has around. Obviously, there are big talent agencies that do it across many a many many different fields, but we were two individuals that worked with all these people, and we got to just see what makes top talent tick. What makes them? What do they care about? How do you reach them? How do you convey something exciting to them? How do you get them engaged with you? And that became um, a really powerful tool for hr people and and thinking about how to hire how to how to attract how to retain and i and unfortunately i think there's a lot of room for change in that particular part of most companies
1: that's that's well said and 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 thank you for for walking us through that so walk us through the leap uh creative talent makes sense technology world, like uh, help us understand how you can uh, bring these two together.
0: So ultimately what became clear, which we didn't know was a theory when we started was that talent is talent is talent. And people who are high performers have very similar qualities. And so as we, as, I mean, this started with us saying to ourselves, all right, if the music industry is going to implode, what do our skills lend themselves to In order for us to be able to be, you know, figure out something else to do. And, you know, there there was no thinking, oh, you know, having been a manager of a rock star, I can go now manage a bank like that's just that didn't make sense. So it became obvious when we had the idea that we could try this with tech talent. Um, Our first the first person who we ended up signing, um, and we signed them to the entertainment company was this wonderful developer who was also a musician. And he understood the concept of what what we wanted to do, and he was the one who, after just a few months' time, said, "I don't want to be your client. I want to be your partner. I have all these friends in the tech world. I know people both in the startup ecosystem and the, the the devs, and we can really build build this company. and And we worked together for a number of years. And he was absolutely right that everybody on the tech side really valued the proposition that we were offering, which was taking the pain out of freelancing by providing high-level guidance, strategy, and also doing all of the negotiation, the contract, the invoicing that, you know, nobody nobody who's making hundreds of dollars an hour should be spending their time on that. And it's certainly going to be boring for them. If you're, you know, if you're a data scientist, you know, writing algorithms that solve huge problems and create huge value in the world, the the dealing with invoicing is about equivalent to cleaning out your garage. It's not a great use of your time. I think
1: that, um that's fascinating. And and so um, so walk us through the time when, when you were um, managing creative talent, right? So there was a time um, in creative talent industry when all the technology disruptions started happening, right? So the labels were sort of, uh, the boundaries were depleting. And there was a huge push from iTunes getting in there, seeing the transformation riding on the wall. So how are you drawing the parallels to whatever is happening on the technology side today where technology is shifting very quickly to the point where I think I, I, I really appreciate you um, for, for 10x management or for at least the on-demand aspect of, of technology because I think that's... Walk us through some of the parallels that you that have seen in, in, both the, in both the situations.
0: So this is actually a fairly simple equation to me in that our real innovation was backing the tech talent. Do you remember how Cisco for, I don't know, a decade and change just kept the stock, just went through the roof over and over and over again. And there were these startups that would come and go. There was the first dot-com bubble. And everybody who was betting on the startups was taking these giant risks. If you bet on Cisco, you were betting on, essentially the the analogy is the the gold rush. People, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter where they found gold, they needed to buy a pick and a shovel. Mm-hmm. So if you were selling picks and shovels, you were going to make money regardless of what that was. That's what Cisco did. Cisco was sort of like infrastructure. The, we had sort of a similar realization, which is, I don't know what the right technology is right now. I only know that the people who build technology are the ones who are really valuable. And right now, everybody in the ecosystem is that sits between company and tech talent is aligned with the company. And it made no sense to us. We said, let's let's align with the talent. And we don't need to know. What the right language or framework is this month, this year? It doesn't matter if we align ourselves with smart people who are continuous learners. We're always going to have a roster of people who are highly sought after. And little did we know, we we thought the talent shortage was bad when we started about a decade ago. Now it's crazy. I mean, coming out of the pandemic, the job market. You know, I I don't want to say something that everybody's read and everybody knows, but the job market is bonkers in general and then when you get to tech talent it's it's completely insane
1: i think one thing that that i i really find um f- find fascinating about the comparison of creative talent and, and and technology folks so i remember like so i spoke to this um uh, a football team um, in east coast and and one of the assistant coach and and he was making a comparison that how a a, a sports player or of a, a football player is Parallel to a sophisticated developer in many aspects. So his point of view was that the creative, uh, like this guy is creative, that guy is creative. Uh, This guy is part of a team. That guy is also part of a team. Both are economically incentivized. Both have to work. They're too much at stake when it comes to what how they play their game. And and um, it's 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 almost comical to the fact that it was what he was telling me was I see that IT guys end up making product for for my folks. But they don't make product for themselves. So it, it it was pretty pretty fascinating that he was saying that, okay, I have a million dollar player that gets about whatever uh, uh, support system, but they are million dollar workers who are not incentivized the similar way. But their impact is definitely far greater, if not similar to the, what players had. And it was fascinating.
0: Which is why so many of those million dollar devs end up starting their own business because that's where they can see the most value out of it. But I, I think, and I think the other point here is you could be the greatest tennis player in the world that does not give you any skills on how to negotiate an endorsement deal. Um, it doesn't give you any skills on how to deal with any of the, of the elements of the doing business part. It means you're the greatest tennis player in the world. And it takes a lot of work to be the greatest at anything in the world. And part of what anybody does when they get a certain level of success is they start to outsource some of the things they do in their lives. You you know, many people have someone who cleans their home. Could I clean my home myself? I could. It's not, is that a good use of my time? No. So they start to think about what are all the different things I can outsource? And one of the things about our business model and the business model of talent management and talent agents Is we have skin in the game, which is also a chapter in the book. So it's not just enough that they can outsource cutting the deal with Nike for Roger Federer. That may not be an actual pair, but I'm using those illustratively. Um, uh, They they can bring in somebody, and rather than just paying somebody, they want to bring in somebody who's got skin in the game, who they know is aligned with them. And every deal in my entire career. That we negotiate on behalf of of a client, whether it's a musician, um, uh, an entrepreneur, tech talent, a director, any of them, it's always commission based. So they always know they have a a much higher degree of trust that our interests are aligned and that what we recommend is beneficial to them because in order for it to be beneficial for us, it's got to be beneficial to them.
1: I think so. You're picking a very interesting point, and and, and to a certain degree, it's fairly philosophical on how the development world is laid out today. Right. So I think you you you're picking on a very interesting idea that most of us, and in fact everyone who's employed today, they know very limited when it comes to finding again fully employment. Right. So that's not their forte. In fact, if you if if you if you ask anyone how to write a resume, most of them get inspiration from somewhere else. So it's very difficult to see if that accurately represents someone when it comes to even writing on the their one-page ad that they send out. So from, from your vantage point, when when you see um, um, the volume of these people, the volume of developer, developers that are out there today, that are negotiating themselves without even knowing what negotiation means in many aspects, and they are wonderful coders when it comes to their, their craft. They exactly know what to do. Because I think in in, in creative side, there is a perception of there will be a manager, there will be an ecosystem supporting the talent and talent job is to make sure the talent is top notch, right? Right. On the development world, it's not very common to imagine um, an ecosystem that is empowering. In fact, I I had this conversation with a lot of career coaches that the very aspect of coach is like a stigma that okay very few elites will get but whatever but the very mere of touching um, a talent would give uh, ex- like uh, enormous incentive <clears throat> to the company and the talent so from your vantage point what do you think is a solution so will this be scalable like wh- what do you, how do you think that uh, a tech talent would be would be addressed um, or uh, they can have the support system supporting them
0: so I think it's really interesting. It's a really interesting question because if we look at the world um, and how the world broke out, and let's use music as a as an example. So you have the top performers in music who get agents and managers who have commissioned people who look after them and work all day to make their career go well because they have a piece of of action. And then you have that's a very small top 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 class. We'll call those the you know point one percenters. Mm. Then you have a huge middle class of musicians who play in hotels or record in studios. And you know what they ended up getting over time? None of this all started out. They didn't get agents and managers. Mm. Some of them did, but mostly what they got was a union. Mm. And I think that at some moment we may see for the middle class of developers a union. And then I think the upper, and I don't think in technology, I don't think the upper class is going to be this 0.1%. I think it might be. The top five or ten percent, but there's going to be a middle class that is not going to have representation. Um, but I think that there's still going to become other other ways for them to get some of the benefits of that. Both both digital tools, um, even now, there's there's tools that help people um, find out about data about about job offers so that they can start to compare and contrast. Um, and those are really helpful that didn't exist a number of years ago and and ultimately and and it's funny that you brought up coaching because in in game changer we interview two founders of a of a coaching business that we advise called A Plan Coaching and so much of what we get into i mean that company is is geared around not having coaching being just for that top 1% hmm. but but making it affordable so it's for everybody else and i think that one of the things that we we, we hope to see is that as as We move toward democratizing some of these elements. We can see, rather than only the C-suite getting coaching, we can see that middle management can now have coaching, so that they can be bettering their game. And this is also a retention tool, and and for that matter, a recruiting tool. Come to my company, and we give you a weekly coaching session with a professional coach. Whereas you go to another company, and they don't offer that. And that, you know, for the again, for the top performers, because what they want, the reason they're top performers, is they're constantly optimizing themselves and working on getting better so the more tools you give them to be able to advance that the happier they're going to be
1: i think you, you use a very interesting word uh democratizing right so um i, I remember like um one of the government agency reached out to us a couple of months back and i think uh and and they said there's a there's a huge um there's a huge um Gap that's been created and their ability to, to train workers, right? And you, you talk. I think that you talk a lot about um, impact of automation on work, right? So I want to spend few minutes and and, and take your perspective on it. So when you talk about say um, technology worker, they understand technology. They they understand even for them it's very hard to keep up with the evolution that's happening, right? Now imagine the workforce which who are not technology savvy or who are actually I'm curious what's your perspective like how do you democratize um gainful employment for those workforce which are which are pretty much not getting on the bus
0: um I'm really glad you brought it up. It's a topic that i I care deeply about, and i've lost I, I actually am a very good sleeper, but I proverbially lost sleep mm-hmm. over this topic because I don't see a solution on the horizon, and um, I got to meet Andrew Yang, who ran for president before before all of that, because of our mutual concern about this. Um, I do think universal basic income is one viable solution. Um, it only deals with one part part of the problem. We we put up a website called thedayafterlabor.com dot com where we try and aggregate information about this. We want to educate people. We want people to be as concerned as we are about this. not This has nothing to do with me professionally. It's just be doing what I do for a living. I see it coming the same way being in the music industry. I saw the music industry go over a cliff because of technology, and I watched publishing and film and TV right behind it, not doing anything. So because we see this in front of us, we really want to get people talking and thinking about it. Universal basic income, UBI, is one potential solution. But what happened during COVID which is catastrophic and I will quote Andrew on this next line is we had 10 years of change in 10 weeks. Mm. So and we're seeing it now. So you've got competing forces. We want I want people to have a living wage. I love the idea of a higher national minimum wage or I prefer it to be localized based on cost of living but we'll we'll leave that alone for the moment. The problem is as soon as you say to I'll use them as an example McDonald's you need to pay people fifteen dollars an hour. McDonald's is going to lay off a massive number of people. It's happening already, but the, we will accelerate it very quickly. And uh, you know, everybody who's who's you know taken on off off their mask or put their mask on and gone out to a restaurant has seen that you now you know rarely get a menu. You get a QR code. You look at the menu on your device, and a lot of restaurants still have somebody coming to take your order, but really the person who's taking your order is looking at their device. Mm. And hitting the things on the menu, and it's just going into the kitchen. There is no reason I couldn't choose the things myself. And if you play this out, uh, 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 McDonald's just bought an AI that does the drive-through. I mean, they didn't. They didn't. I don't think it's deployed everywhere yet. But where you're going to be talking to a computer to take your order, and that order is going to send it right to the kitchen, and they'll get the food ready. When you play these things out. You know, when I walk into a McDonald's or a fast food place, and I walk up to the counter and I order my food, somebody there hits a touch screen with pictures of my food. They're mm-hmm. just going to turn that kiosk around, and I'm going to do it myself. And you play this out across industries, and then self-driving vehicles, and you you just start to see there's just not going to be there's just not going to be enough labor available for, or enough jobs available for our labor force, and that's really challenging. So you've got the two problems that I was mentioning on the day after labor site. One is what are people gonna do to make a living and not end up in poverty? And I mm-hmm. think we have ways of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Second one is let's just say the government gave you enough money to live a decent life without, w- without working. What do you do all day? Like how do you take that time, talent, energy, and passion and deploy it? And I don't, I don't have the perfect answer for either problem. The only thing that I'm so excited about to talk to you about this is more people need to be thinking about this. There's this needs to be a really big focus. Climate change, yes, the whole world, everybody's in the in that in that uh, in that storm together. We're not all in the same boat, but we're in the same mm-hmm. storm. This is very similar. This is really an existential that's coming very quickly, and it's not getting quite the attention it needs yet.
1: I think so. Um, you raised on some of the very interesting points. I think I, I, I'm I'm really loving this having a conversation with you. Um, so I think um, so from a technologists point of view. So if I wear my technology hat, right? So um, disruptions happen. Uh, so we call it S-curve disruption. So yeah. things change very quickly, and someone who's trying to catch up, it, everyone is whoever is in this industry find very very hard to catch up, and everyone else is disrupted, right? So, uh, if 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 we if we go back, there's a dot-com boom. There was there was an in, uh, era of internet. There's an era of uh, uh, local drives, uh, with, with local storages. There's an era of cars uh, coming out. So we have seen sort of these small small S curve disruption. One industry just jumped, right. and everyone just transformed. Right. I think so. This is this is a very interesting time. I think why um, I, I'm having this loving this conversation is. So this is the time when the s curve disruptions are happening on, on various actors. So the connectors that is connecting in like internet wires that are getting disrupted. The AI right. is everywhere getting disrupted. Cloud is getting disrupted. So and, and our increased, our last 30 years increased reliance on technology is seeing that disruption, right? And and then when you think about sort of this this massive scale of disruption happening, and and and, and when you realize that how underprepared the communities are when it comes to their understanding of this disruption and their their grasp on what's going on. I'm I'm curious from your vantage point, from from your from your perspective, is it a failure? So the 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 the, the failure that we are seeing to keep everyone gainfully apply uh, employment is it a failure for companies to hire? people or to create avenues for hiring, or is it a failure of, for workers to be trained to be employed? I, I'm curious, what, what, what's your take on that?
0: I think that a lot of it has to do with training in terms of right now, there's a real mismatch in terms of the open jobs and the training for people. So right now, all of a sudden, we've got every restaurant in town is like desperate for people. And there's a lot of debates about why those jobs are open now but if you look at corporations and you look at the open jobs everybody's got tons of tech jobs there just aren't enough people and if you ask me where we fail on this we fail because we don't teach people in our education system does not teach people relevant skills for now and you know i don't i don't understand how it is 2021 mm. and and software engineering is not a requirement for people going through school. And I don't mean that they need to come out and be, you know, Uber 10Xers, but at least give them enough exposure that if they have a little bit of an inkling and they want to go in this direction, they have the tools to be able to learn it. But what we do is we educate people for jobs that don't really exist anymore or that aren't really for jobs. And then we wonder why we have this mismatch. The only the the only sector that I that like is really big that's going to grow and you don't need a ton of training for but you do need training is human care. The aging population is going to need a lot of people to take care of it and that's a really exciting growth sector and every other sector for lower skilled people mm. is getting disrupted by technology whether whether it's automation um or AI but you know with the industrial and the agricultural revolutions you had certain things that were being automated and it was it was significant but it wasn't all sectors and this is virtually all sectors you tell you name me a company and i'll tell you what jobs in that company are going to get are going away cuz it it's true in every job the administrative jobs are getting you know it's not that they're going away completely you still right. might want a human answering your phone but you might, because so much is not done by phone, you might go from, you know, I'm, I'm making up numbers here, but from 10 people to two people, because you just don't need that many anymore. They're only, they're not doing as much as they were. It's going to be really tough. This is going to be a very, very, very dark period. And I do think that some of the political gyrations we went through over the last year and the unrest and the dissatisfaction is directly linked to this.
1: But I think that's that's that that's a pretty fair, um, fair statement to say, and I think that's why I, I definitely commend you for the day after labor initiative. I think that's that's because the the more people are talking about it, and, and I think I think one of the thing why Andrew Young was was such a such a breath of fresh air when he, when he came back because I think as a technologist, you get when you, when you hear about talking points from 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 bureaucrats, right? Because many of the community they have access to broader community. Uh, whoever are listening to those bureaucrats, right, or or those politicians, and when you hear from them, and you're not hearing the word automation and disruption, it get you get a bit nervous, right? Because you know it's getting disrupted, and it's not because of policy. It's not because go, a factory should open one more factory locally and and hire a few more people. It's the yeah. very underlying underlying tenet of how how they will function what, when they will open. But those those were the
0: headlines that we were hearing is like, Oh, a new plant is opening somewhere. Great. That's wonderful. That's not the problem. Um, and, and realistically in this country, we're never going to compete for cheap labor. Like it's just not, we, we're too spoiled. We're lucky in that we're too spoiled. People don't want to work 14 hours a day for, you know, $2 an hour. Um, and I don't, Blame them, and I and I hate the fact that there are people in other countries who are forced to do that. But we're just never going to be able to compete with that. That ship sailed, and we will be able to compete on manufacturing because we will automate it.
1: I think it it, it, it was funny. So um, I was talking to one of the futurists, and 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 I'm curious to know your perspective. So he said, Vishal, you know what? Future would not be of chefs, but superneers and sandwichpreneurs, right? So he was. He, so he was seeing the writing on on the wall that you would not we would not be seeking us a, a chef to make us food. we right. would be looking for sandwich preneurs and souppreneurs too so you'll be really good at your one craft and somehow the ecosystem would support you and and I think you in a way you are supporting ecosystems uh, whether it comes to artists, whether it comes to developers uh, or tech talent i'm I'm curious what's what's your take? Like, would would you think? Would you agree to this perspective? And what's your take on that?
0: I mean, I think we see hyper specialization going on, and ultimately, everybody is gearing how how our economy works around the preference of the consumer and the ease of things for the consumer. So, if we look at the changes in the last year, food delivery. I mean, food delivery is not a new thing. You could order a pizza thirty years ago, but now you can order anything for places that don't deliver all of a sudden are able to deliver. And you you can get anything you want almost universally within a very short period of time. It, you know, even if the place doesn't facilitate that, you go on TaskRabbit or or a similar service, Instacart, and you've got somebody who's gonna go get it for you. And and I think when you think about that, that's the only part of the economy where there are a lot of humans still needed. Um, that, that's really important. I mean, that's why Amazon is just hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring, which is great. And that, and, but at a certain point, just like Uber and Lyft, or when they get the, when they get the technology, right, all those people they hired gone and, and not in like a five-year period, once the self-driving cars are sufficiently safe, it's so much cheaper than having to deal with drivers. They're going to convert very quickly.
1: Interesting. So now let's, let's talk about your book book a bit. So um, game changer. So um, walk us through, why write this book and walk us through a typical reader that you write it for, you wrote it for.
0: So when we set out to do this, what we really wanted to do was share what we saw across all these different industries and what are the common things that top talent wants. And simultaneously, we we can all be top talent, or we can all be good talent, and we can all be better talent. So the book is, is essentially broken into two halves. One is, how do you make your company more 10x? And how do you manage these people who are who are really 10x? And what are they looking for? And what are the and and what do they care about? And how do you relate to them? And how do you give them what you want to to both attract, hire and retain them uh, and manage them? And then the second half of the book is flipping it around and saying, okay, now you know how to do that, but you're also talent. Each one of us is talent, and we need to think of ourselves that way. And the same things that they needed from you, you need from somebody else. And you have to start to be able to advocate for yourself in the right ways to be able to get that so that you can continue to get better. So as a really easy example... um, A lot of 10xers most 10xers really value feedback because they want to be getting better all the time so if they're not doing something well they may not it may not feel great in the moment when you say hey you know could you do this a little bit differently next time because this wasn't a great way to do it but most of them a true 10xer wants that feedback they want to know it because they can improve once they have that information so if you think about 10xers as as people who want feedback. And you want to be a 10xer, or you want to be more 10x, even if you can never be a 10xer, you now need to open yourself up to feedback, and that's a hard thing. But this is, you know, we actually have notes in there, like uh, templates of how do you approach your boss if they're not giving you enough feedback? How do you how do you talk to them about saying, you know, a, a once a year performance review is lovely, but I would love to, you know, have 20 minutes of your time once a month so that I can continuously be learning and seeing how I'm doing on improving things. Um, and there's lots of, that. I use that as one use case, but there's lots of examples of how people who have these qualities, wh- what else goes along with them? So they're lifelong learners. They love problem solving. I can tell you that there are moments where I have our clients say to us, oh, that, that job, that's really boring. I need $300 an hour if I'm going to do that. That thing that's really interesting. I, I don't even care if I have to pay to work on that. I don't care what I get paid. I want to do that. and that's a that's a trait of a 10xer. They love they love the feedback. They approach things with curiosity. they love problem solving. They have a very impressive EQ to go along with their IQ. You can take the smartest person, the best developer in the world, and if they can't communicate well, they're of almost no use to me. and I think that for most companies, they're not. And you can t- also take somebody who's a very good developer, but not the best, who's a great communicator and have successful engagement after engagement with them. So it is important to balance the soft skills with the hard skills. Let me pause there and see if you had any follow-up questions.
1: No, I think that that makes sense. So um, I'm curious, what is, what is sir? 10XR? Um, okay. I'm
0: glad you asked because not everybody is familiar with that term. So that's a term that came out of the software world and it it, it stems from the belief that a 10 Xer can actually deliver 10 times the value of their peers. And people think, you know, there's a lot of stuff written that it's a myth. Um, We've seen it in action. I've seen a team of three people replace a team of 33 people and build, build something better, faster. Um, And, and it, it, this does exist. Um, And it's not easy to find. I don't really want to debate whether they do exist because I know they do um and not every 10xer is delivering 10 times the amount of code or anything like that sometimes a 10xer is the one who sits there for 2 days before they write a line of code and comes up with the really elegant solution so that they can deliver a product with fewer lines of of code but that's much you know a, a much better solution to the problem being posed so these are these are people who are are hungry curious loves problem solving um uh, deliver more value than their peers usually by by a significant factor sometimes in actual order of magnitude and um, and they're amazing and they're out there and most of them don't know that they are interesting
1: so i I'm, I'm, I'm curious so if i am uh, i want to be a 10xer and i'm not sure if i am being a 10xer as per your your, your definition so Do you have certain, um, some tenets or I think you shared some of those qualities uh, a a few minutes back, but I'm curious that um, if I want to be like a 10Xer or I'm almost borderline, like, do you have some insights? Okay, if you do this XYZ, maybe you're in that club. I'm curious.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not as prescriptive as now you crossed over and you are, that's, Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no test that. That like distinctly says that you've now become 10xer, but we did create a quiz on the book website that allows you to see how 10x your company is and how 10x yourself you, you yourself are. So there are ways to do that, but we also we put in a lot of prescriptive um, information in there. So at the end of each chapter in that first half of the book, we talk about what a 10x manager does in a given situation. And then we talk about what a zero X manager does and what a five X manager does. And by seeing those side by side, you start to get a very good sense of what it means and how you behave in a way that yields these great results from the people that you're trying to work with. And by the way, that's making you more of a ten X manager. So um, I think we have a lot of very detailed prescriptive information on on how to how to advance things. Um, but you know, uh, you know, one thing is never be defensive that is not a trait of a 10xer ne- never doesn't matter whether you were wrong you were right you had responsibility for it you didn't approach it with curiosity and there are moments where you still need to defend yourself um, if something is not being portrayed accurately but just by starting out with you know if somebody's like well what did you mean by that it's like oh let me clarify let me let me i'm sorry i didn't make it clear let me see if we can come to a um, and understanding because that, that approaching it with curiosity often, number one, it allows you to find, did, did you actually do something wrong, but it also brings down what would be otherwise, uh, you know, sort of escalating toward conflict.
1: And, and I think, and, and one word I was, I was reading that book and I think one, one word that came out was, um, uh, supervisionaries. Yes. So I think I, I'm, I, we know visionaries, what we know, what they are. I'm curious, what is supervisionary?
0: So w- when we talk about this concept of supervision, we have two elements of it. One is future vision and one is inner vision. So inner vision is much more about the manager being able to help the the, t- the 10Xer in this case, see the things that they can't see for themselves. So there's this concept of Jahari's window. Have you ever heard of that? Um, where there's four panes in the window and in one pane, is everything that you know about yourself and everybody else knows about you. In one pain there's the things that you don't know about yourself and nobody knows about you. In one pain there's the things that everybody knows about you and and you know about yourself like you know I have gray hair. Those those are common. And then the last pain the one that really matters is the one that other people know about you that you don't know about yourself. When you can be the the inner visionary of that problem for somebody and you help them eliminate a blind spot, you are contributing to their 10x-ness and that will breed loyalty. They will will appreciate that. And they will also see the value that if I stay with this person, they will be honest with me. They will tell me when I'm failing. They will tell me how to improve it, or at least help me think through it. And that's a hugely valuable property. Future vision is, is a similar... Um, quality in that you're helping the person see that which they may not be able to see, but it's not necessarily about them. It's being able to see around corners in the future. So for us in our day-to-day life, when we're renting out tech talent, sometimes that's being able to anticipate that um, this company is going to have additional needs and they're going to want you to stay on to do it. And what, long before we they ask us, will you do that? we're able to say, hey, this is likely going to be a question. We want to be ready. We want you to be ready for the question when it gets asked. Um, what does that look like? And, you know, conversely, um, on the side of, of the 10X Ascend business where we help people negotiate, we help technologists negotiate full-time job offers, mm-hmm. we're often preparing them for what the recruiter may say to them on the call. And what we're, what we're doing is using our experience to say, on this call, they're likely to say this to you. And that takes some of the anxiety out of it, and it helps them prepare for what likely will come. Of course, you know we still don't have a crystal ball, so we're only going with what the data tells us is is the likely outcome. I
1: think um, so. Uh, interesting word, by the way. And I think one thing that I I, I really like is how it takes an eco- it takes a village, right, to 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 perform for for, for these visionaries to get created and sort of to empowered. And I think I totally agree with you. Um, surprising them with how to fix their problem is like the best gift anyone can get. So um, I think so, so there's one thought that is sort of uh, coming to my mind when you were pitching that. So I, I spoke to one of the Fortune 10 companies um, chief learning officer. And, and I asked him a very simple question. I asked him, hey, how? what do you think of your workers? Are they something, are they like a vase that you put on the side and they attract move people and to appreciate your house, or are they Kleenex? you take it out, get the job done once they're exhausted, throw them out right so and and I think the answer was not anyone would like to hear uh, but but he, this particular gentleman says, okay, too many they are like Kleenex uh, of how the organization is shaping up and then he put up a very interesting argument he said if you if you think about the aspect of on demand, Talent. If it, if it, if we think about, and he's saying that as an, as as an, as an executive, it become really, really, it is becoming really, really hard for me to figure out who is in, who is out when it comes to the organizational success, right? So there is a temp talent pool that that exists today. The freelancer pool is ever increasing in in the numbers. So when when you talk about, say, this idea of supervisionaries, when you talk about this idea of okay, the, it takes it takes a village. They all the, the manager needs to empower. Their workforce, and on the other side, you see these temp workers or the army of temp workers, which are there. Many companies have increasing in that number of flexible workforce. I, I'm curious, what does? How do you comprehend uh, these two phenomena coming together?
0: Well, I mean, I think that some of what you're talking about has to do with the quality of the people. Um, you know, I like to think that when Our highly paid, very successful technologists go do an engagement, even though it's a freelance engagement, they do it very seriously and they care. And this is a big part of what we screen for, not just about doing what they've been asked to do. This is actually what I hear most from people who have had bad experiences and offshore experiences, but actually challenging and understanding the big picture problem that they're solving not just r- write this code that builds this widget but we're trying to sell you know these widgets to this group of people and then they get to make suggestions and more importantly they get to push back on some bad ideas that may get presented along the way so i don't you know what i was going to throw back at you is outside of the legal classification what is the as job tenure continues to fall which it has and it's you know for certain age populations it's down to like I think you know sixteen months is is average job tenure. Um, when you think about that sixteen month person versus you know a, a freelancer, what's really the difference? How loyal to the company do you think that that person is who's your full time mm-hmm. employee versus your contractor? Um and I don't and I don't think there's a big difference. I think loyalty is much less determined by uh what your employment status is and much more determined by how you're treated. And this is the this is you know when we talk about the human elements and stuff this mm-hmm. is what gets what gets me excited and this is where management and HR is a little bit broken. And it and 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 it's especially broken if you want to be dealing with 10xers because one of the things about 10xers is they have choices. These are not people who have a shortage of mm-hmm. of job opportunities. These are people, and I've seen it, if they flip on LinkedIn, I'm open to opportunities, we'll have 20 recruiters in two days hitting them up with job, like legit job opportunities. So if you're not treating them well and they're not feeling any connection to their own mission and to your mission, they're going to be out the door in a short period of time. Um, And what you just described about the Kleenex or the tissues is exactly Mm. why there's no loyalty. Because if you think about people that way and you treat them that way, um, and I don't mean this to be braggy, but one of the things that we do is I do a one-on-one with everyone who's a direct report to me monthly, um, and in those one-on-ones, I am attempting to find out what do you want to be learning that you're not learning, what are the skills you have we're not taking advantage of, what is your you know what, what where do you want to be going, are you open to this this kind of promotion or that kind of promotion, um, and. In addition to getting feedback from them about how I'm doing, because that is an important quality, uh, important element, I understand that these are people. It's not their business. It's my business. It's my Mm -hmm. company. Like it doesn't matter whether we give them some equity, whether you give them bonuses. It's not going to be theirs. So I have to make sure that they're getting the other rewards out of their career, um, both in the way that we treat them and in the way we think about them and what we understand. And in some instances. I sent an email this morning to somebody outside my company to try and see if I could get somebody who I quite like having in my company a job working for him because it's time for her to go and do something different. Um, I mean, would would this guy who treats people like tissues do that? I don't think so. Mm. Um, And I'll tell you what, what I believe about that is that while this person is looking for their next opportunity, which has gone on for a while because of the pandemic, they're not phoning it in for us because they know that we we care about them. And that makes a difference. Like It really does. And by the way, that's the right thing to do regardless of whether you get better performance out of people. But if you want to be just pragmatic, you're going to get the best out of people when they know you have their backs. And wh- one of the things we talk about in the book extensively is the third party effect. And this is, this is actually going back to something else that you said which is not only are developers not necessarily good at advocating for themselves or negotiating, nobody's great. I shouldn't say nobody. Most people aren't great at negotiating for themselves. I'm an excellent negotiator. I do it for a living. I don't want to negotiate for myself. I don't want to tell somebody how great I am. I want someone else to say that about me. I sound like an idiot when I say that. And the, the story I told about the gentleman who was our who's our co-founder, he was horrible at negotiating for himself when he came in as our first client, I got his rate, I don't know, 50% more in, in one moment. But as soon as he became an agent and was negotiating on behalf of other people, he was a better agent than I was. Um, he was really aggressive and that is part of what you need to do. So if you're at a company, if, if, if you're this guy who, who mentioned this tissue thing, you know, maybe if you did the opposite, You'd get more out of them and they wouldn't be as disposable. We talk a lot in the book about the fact that these kinds of employees, these best of the best, they don't want to be a cog in the machine. They want to be They want to be mission critical. And there's something else that's really important. There may be people who are listening to this thinking, I can't afford these, these top 10x people. Hmm. That's, I think, a misnomer because if you appeal to the right sensibilities, you might be able to. But even if you forget about that, Gen Z and millennials, they care about very much the same things that 10Xers do. And I don't, I I don't, the origins of that I'm not sure of, but the fact is they also want to know that they're mission critical and that you see a future for them. And the minute they don't think about that, they don't think that you care about that. They're looking for their next job. So while he's treating people like a tissue or she is treating people like a tissue, um, they're looking for their next job because they're being treated like a tissue. That is a self-fulfilling prophecy
1: i think that that's a, that's a very interesting but and, and thank you for sharing your perspective on it i think that's pretty fascinating and and you're you're tapping onto one one other philosophical um, argument that i have about about this whole idea of uh, of um, on demand and um so the the very aspect of who is responsible for empowering a talent right so so you talked about uh, uh, like how much you are taking Taking a front seat when it comes to empowering the talent that you're managing, or or or, or that are coming coming through your funnel. So from um, from your vantage point, if you see how the, however this freelance economy is improving, do you see more and more um, uh, sort of responsibility shift from organizations to sort of this mid layer um, services? that ensures that the quality and the and the quantity of the talent uh, stays top-notch when it comes to the, I'm curious, because I think, uh, so one argument why I say that is, so there was, there's a huge interesting story that uh, there was one gentleman who got fired from a company and he was rated five years as a, as an engineer of the year award. He got in, in in a very big company, IT company, and he was let go. And I took his resume. I gave it to another company, and that company said this guy is obsolete. And so, and this guy is a startup. This company is a startup uh, um, now purchased by Apple. So mm-hmm. it was pretty different. So, and he said this company where I was working, they treated me as the best, right? So should I sue the company that when they treat me at the best, why why am I obsolete when it comes to the when I the moment I come out, right? So who is responsible because they were paying me. They want to make sure that I exist gainfully and and where is the where is the ethical argument that who is responsible for uh, a talent being top notch? So I'm curious, what's your what's your take on it?
0: So ultimately, I think the talent is responsible for keeping the talent skills up to speed, but if you're negotiating a job offer, and you are somebody who does need to keep of course, we all do your personal and professional development, your growth, your growth skills need to be kept up. And you haven't asked and in going into the company, what's your stance on personal and professional development? Is there a budget to take classes or attend conferences or whatever, whatever format it is? That's on you. I mean, I, you know, not everybody cares about that. But it, to to look around and say oh they said i was great and now i'm not employable like he, this it sounds like this gentleman was great for what they needed at the time mm-hmm. and certainly it would be nice if he was a great employee it would have been wise for them to say let me get you trained on something the call i had right before you was with one of our our, our marketing team and there's this concept called newsjacking it's not important to go into it anybody can look it up um it's new to him um it's not completely old to us it's fairly new to us and i said take this week and go become an expert at this put do it on the clock i i want to be paying you for this but you know go go get great at this so we can we can take advantage of it you know if 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 a company's not doing that if they're not investing in their people all right, i have a great way to flip this around i believe that the best investments i've ever made in my life are all in me They're learning new things, being more efficient, managing my time better. I still spend a lot of time just trying to optimize myself. And I'm pretty optimized, but I still feel like there's more more wiggle room. So that's what I do for myself because that is such a good investment in me. If I'm a company, the best investment I can make is in my people to make sure they're performing really well. And companies that don't do that, that's a tissue. We'll just hire somebody else, and that's fine. Hmm. So that's that's a that's a philosophy, that's a way to go. I'm not it's not how I choose to believe we should be, but that's okay. But you're gonna have turnover, and turnover is expensive. is really, really, really expensive.
1: That's that's a that's a very interesting point. And um on the book, who is the ideal reader for the book? I'm curious. Like who is who do you wrote it
0: for? So the two the two people, and they can be the same person. The two people that I think it's most beneficial for are managers of humans, um, especially high-performance humans, um, and, and HR people or anybody involved in hiring people, people, HR people, because we do talk about changes that need to be made in that industry. So, As just a very quick example, what does a company ask before, you make, before they make a job offer to an individual? what's your salary requirement, or sometimes what, you know, what were you making before if it's not illegal in the state that, that they're in. And then they make a job offer with that information. We created this great tool called a lifestyle calculator, and it's got 24 different attributes that go into a job. And when we start working with somebody, they get 100 points and they have to distribute them among those 24 different things. No two people fill it out the same, but by the time I'm going in to help them negotiate, I know what they care about. Why does a company not know what they care about before they make an offer? And this is not all in service of, of giving them more. It's actually in service of giving them less, just giving them the right things. Um, so anyway, that's, so that's one group of people is management and HR. And then the, the second group is for any individual who is a high performer and wants to continue to become more and more of a high performer and wants to learn, how do I find somebody in my life? We all agreed, or we, you and I agree, that you need a coach, a mentor, a rabbi, a priest, uh, a manager, somebody who's going to be in your corner. Maybe they have skin in the game, but they're, they're playing that, that supervision role where they're helping you see your blind spots. They're helping you look ahead and be strategic. And how do you get one if you don't have one? I mean, if you're, if you're a good singer, you might be able to get a manager. It's sort of a normal thing. If you're a really high-level data scientist, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do but they exist, and there's ways to figure it out. And we even include a chart about, you know, sort of the pros and cons of the different kinds of people you can have in that role.
1: I think um, with that, uh, uh, thank you so much, Michael, for for h- helping us understand uh, the aspect of game changer and helping us understand the the, the talent landscape. Now um, we'll we'll move to the next segment, and we call it rapid fire. So th- yes. the, the the goal is I'll I'll share something, and then you whatever comes to your mind, give out your answer. And then, if you want to elaborate more, you can definitely elaborate more. But, okay. but I think give something out, uh, whatever comes. Do to I need mind to do part.
0: some stretching before we start this? Is it that let's, fast?
1: Let's let's do that. Um, so, um, are, are we ready? Yeah. Awesome. So, startups.
0: Failure. Can I can I explain why I said yeah. that, or yeah, you just sure, want to- absolutely? So one of the things that I love about the startup ecosystem is it celebrates failure, and most of the rest of the world outside of science sort of thinks this failure is a bad thing. And everybody in the startup technology world understands that failure is just the one step closer to success.
1: Um, entrepreneurship,
0: um, proactivity um entrepreneurs can't be good entrepreneurs cannot be passive you have to be going out and making things happen all the time failures was that failures yeah okay um strength and resiliency um none of us None of us, if you ask people what is the, most, the best thing you've done in your life, the most significant thing, the, the, the thing you're most proud of, no one talks about anything comfortable. They always talk about something where they had to overcome obstacles because that's why we celebrate that. That feels good. And every, t- every time you're doing something that is like that, there are various degrees of failures along the way. So Growth. Intentional. Growth is not, growth can happen by itself, but growth and meaningful growth happens when one is really intentional and works toward it and makes a plan to have it happen.
1: Um, Culture.
0: It's not everything, but it's an awful lot. Um, If you allow your culture in your company to suffer because of one bad hire or many bad hires, it's very hard to fix it, You're, you will, you will, you'll corrupt your whole ecosystem. I mean, one bad hire can take down a whole team, if you if you allow them to, to linger. And I think that it's really important to, to manage that. Disruption. Um, it's awesome. I I love continuous improvement and and when one disrupts and interme- intermediates um, two parties they're making things smoother and more frictionless and I you know I, we can talk about whether Uber and Lyft are good companies or not good companies but they disrupted an industry that was ripe for disruption and ultimately their product was and probably will be again much better for for their consumers
1: um jobs of future
0: um not as many as we're going to need um that's going to really be a problem and i i really hope people I, you know one of the pleas that we have on that website is that the the best and the brightest start really taking on this problem mm-hmm. we've talked about the fact that 10xers like hard problems this is a really hard problem
1: yeah. i think this I, I definitely agree. I think mo- we need as much of muscle power or at least neuron power on this. Yes. Anyone who's who's yelling from the roof, they're understating it. So it's it's just I don't know, like uh, at,
0: at one point I wanted to propose that um all the major tech companies and maybe even beyond had to, you know, dedicate I don't know, 20% of the time of their brightest people mm-hmm. to work on this problem as a group, not because again not because it's the right thing to do for society, but it's going to impact everyone. If Can you imagine if, you know, 40% of the population doesn't have jobs, what life is going to be like? You think if you've got a billion dollars, you're going to be living an enjoyable life when the world looks like that? I don't think so.
1: It's, it's, it's funny. So, so there was a professor, I think uh, he's, he's, he's not, no, not not there anymore now, Professor C.K. Parlad. And, and and he was he was, he was was telling that if there's a rich and poor gap keeps on increasing, there's, there'll be an unrest, right? And then if you have some tech people who are sort of employed and all, and then majority unemployed. It's just going to make life miserable for everyone, regardless of wherever. So I think I totally agree with you. It's,
0: it's, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's a societal it, it, again, issue. It, again, you can have all the money in the world, and if you can't live a life where you can enjoy it, what good does it do you? So let's yeah. figure this out before your whole, the whole thing goes kaplooey.
1: Fair point um future of startups
0: um bright i think it's very bright i think that there are enough startups that succeed and they also succeed so quickly and to scale that um the oxygen for that fire which is the venture capital investment is going to continue to be there i think that it's it's a it's really a bright spot
1: um future of organizations
0: um Radical evolution is is coming and going to be needed because there's so much that hasn't stayed up with the times, um, and we say, you know, we see it in the hiring process I just described. Um, the procurement process is terrible. I mean, we have companies that want to do business with us, and they, you know, it could be a very small, you know, hundred thousand dollar engagement and they want to work with us and somebody there wants to do it and then they have a 400 page document that we need to try and sign and negotiate and get through it and that's a 9 month process i mean not be not because it's a 9 month process on our end we move very quickly but it's just they've just got to figure this out and it stands to like i understand it that the reason that contract is 400 pages is because over the last 50 years there have been lawsuits and every time there's a lawsuit they write in a new clause yeah but you got to just pick and choose, you know, at what point are we being so protective that we're hurting ourselves?
1: Fair point. Um, game changer.
0: Um, 10Xer.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you for playing that. I, I do appreciate that. So now um, the tail end of the conversation. So we want to spend a few minutes on your journey. So we, we ask all of our guests, to share um, some of the qualities that has helped them become what they have become. So what are some of your qualities that has helped you become what you are today?
0: So I was definitely raised with a pretty significant work ethic um, from my parents and grandparents. So I think that was a good starting point. But ultimately, if I look back over my career, the things that I wish I had known when I was younger was um, the idea of radical prioritization. So partly because of that work ethic, when I was early on in my career, and this was before there were terms like data-driven, I would do everything I could possibly do. And I wasn't always measuring whether it was successful. And I wasn't always, it was just, I wanted to get it all done. I wanted to do everything. And the truth is what i've learned now and you know i've got a little more wisdom than i did then pick and choose prioritize do the things that matter and also test everything because if if you can't prove that it's working or not working what good is it you don't you don't even know um and then the last thing which i touched on already is i've invested a lot of time and energy and some money in in my own capabilities and my own skills. And it's more, it's more time. And it's again, an openness, a curiosity. How can I, you know, how can I save 10 seconds a day every day? Doesn't sound like a lot of time to save, but it adds up. How can I save two minutes a day? That actually gets to be a lot of time. Um, And I get to do, I get to live the life that I want to live both as an entrepreneur and as a parent and a husband and, and a, and a person and a tennis player and all of these things because i put in that time to make myself more efficient and more streamlined and i'm sure i have a ways to go i you know i'm i'm all ears if anybody has ideas but um it it, it's it's been really valuable um and then you know as i said every obstacle that's in front of you is an opportunity my father has a sign on his desk that says trouble is opportunity um, and I, I try and keep that in mind. Um, certainly the disruption of the music industry turned out to be a great opportunity for us, um, and it didn't look like that at first.
1: So um, that's awesome. So um, uh, talk to us about your some of your favorite reads, some of the books that have inspired you or your reading, uh, anything you can share.
0: Sure. So um, I've read... Quite a few books on positive psychology, which really helped me with the EQ side of life, emotional intelligence, and 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 living better. And uh, you know, I learned to meditate and doing all kinds of of, of things like that. Um, there's a book recently that I read as it related to mental health of of a member of my family um, called "The Anatomy of Peace," which is by the Arbinger Institute. And this is not a business book, um, but it it gets into the concept of When you see or treat people like an object, you have a heart of war. And when you see and treat them like a human being, you have a heart of peace. And this is something that needs to be brought into the business world much more. Um, We need to treat each other as humans. We need to understand that there's a work-life balance we need to understand that, you know, it, it is, mu- in my estimation, it is much better to work to live than to live to work. And I like what I do. Don't get me wrong. This is not like I don't run away from from doing the, d- doing my job, but there is there needs to be balance. And the truth is, we're always better. It, you know, working hard feels better when you also play hard. And playing hard feels better when you work hard and creating that contrast in your life is... Um, I think is crucially important. But that book that book really resonated with me. And that was a that was a few months ago. I actually do a lot more reading of periodicals than I do of books. Um my attention span, like many others, has gotten shorter and shorter. And so much so that I'll even admit um reluctantly that a lot of the book reading I do at this point, I read on a on a summary app where I can read a s an abstract of the book and get the high level thinking without having to read the whole book, which is you know, not awesome, but it, it, it's, it's efficient.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Yes. So um, thank you on that. So now last but not the least, so if as a closing remark, you want something that our listeners and viewers can take away from this conversation, like what would that be? What would be your parting thought?
0: So I think the place I'd want to start is that all of us, no matter how good we are, can be better. and the more that you put into moving yourself and your team to be better, um, the, the, the better the results are going to be across the board. And um, you will build loyalty among your people. There will be direct bottom line influence for your company if you start treating people this way because turnover will go down. You will be able to attract people differently because they will see something in your company that is appealing to them. Um, Companies used to be able to say, I've got money. That's all I need. That's all you care about is money. If I pay, it's fine. And that's not the world we're living in anymore. And and COVID really exacerbated that because people had a whole year and a half facing their mortality, figuring out, is this what I want to do with my life? which is why we're about to have massive job churn because everybody was sitting around, if they had a job, holding on to it until it felt safe. And now we're going to watch people change jobs, change careers, change industries. Um, and that's a great opportunity for so many of us. And it's also a challenge for a lot of business leaders.
1: With that, uh, Michael, thank you so much uh, for being gracious with your time and helping us understand uh, the world of 10Xers, the world of high performers, the world of whatever is lacking in this uh and I think, especially uh, on, on from bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for all you are doing for the workforce of tomorrow, and the and, and creating awareness on the impact of automation on on, on depleting work. Because I think, um, I, like whenever I I, I spoke, uh, like whenever I talk to someone, when I, if they're not ta- not concerned or thinking about this topic, I think that gave me a grave concern. If they can do something and they're not doing it, because I think. Um, I think at at one point I I um was I, I met Andrew Yang in one of the conversation uh, uh, and and we had this very brief chat and and I was I was ta- talking that the one thing I really really love what you're saying is what I have not heard is a technologies anyone say and I don't know why like anyone who have a very faint understanding of technology understand what's going on and 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 you guys should be like yelling it out because yes. it's it's going to be a problem.
0: Exactly. As a matter of fact, you just mentioned he—he he wrote the, in my opinion, the definitive book on this issue called "The War on Normal People." And I would encourage, you know, when you read that, you really understand that the world is heading toward a cliff, and uh, from an employment standpoint, and we got to do something fast.
1: So thank you so much, and wish you nothing uh, but success on the book. And thank you for spending your time with us.
0: It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I look awesome. forward to doing it again. Awesome. I was homesick, never really knew that I would have to grow so quick.